Chapter 13 Well, I never, Gaffagudgeon cried. Stig's large blue eyes grew very round. Shakes and shingles, he said, and rubbed his head. Skeller leaned over Stig and held out his hand. Allow me, he said, and what could Gon do but comply? Skeller took the tiny gold flake, turned it over in his palm with a long, thick finger, and scraped it with his thick, yellowed thumbnail. Then he laid it on the tip of his tongue. Gon winced. His lovely, bright, shining flake of sunshine ruined. Now the man looked set to eat it. If only Gom had said how soft it was, this might not have happened. Hmm, Skeller said at last and spat it out. Tis low-grade ore, too base to be of use. Here. Gingerly, Gom took it back again and returned it to his pouch. It shines as bright as your earrings, he wanted to say, but dared not. What, he thought, if something else besides the gold shine determined its value? Say its hardness. Hadn't he shown his ignorance enough for one day? Skella got up from the bench, stretched and yawned. Well, tis past time for my rounds, he said. I move on in a day or two, and I must do right by the queen. He nodded farewell to the gaffers. To Stig, he said, I hear you come down the mountain but once a week. I likely shall be gone when you return. Pity. The queen shall take it ill that Clax woodcutter bought nothing from her stores. Stig's face went very red. I'm but a simple poor man, he said. Not too simple and poor to spend an afternoon outside the wild green man shouting ale for one and all, Skella said with a grim smile. Good day to you, Stig. No, Meister, no, thank you. And in two strides he was gone. Gom had never felt so angry in his whole life. With his father, with Skella, with the old gaffers, and most of all, with himself, for being such a fool. He glared down at his empty plate. Not fair! Not fair! he said inside himself, over and over again. That man had not only walked away with all their hard-earned money in his belly, but he'd had the gall to insult and threaten Stig into the bargain. And Gon was helpless to get even or put matters right. He was glad that the man would be gone by the following week. Good riddance to him. Gon wouldn't care if they never saw a royal purveyor again. Well, his father said at last, with his keeping a cheerful face on things smile, at least it's a nice day. Old man Gudgeon scowled up at the clear blue sky. That's what you think. My knees tell a different tale. Oh? Stig's smile faltered. It was a common assumption in the town that the older a body got, the more he or she knew about the weather. 
so much so that folk would take the advice of the gaffers, even if it were wrong more often than right. So Gaffer's warning of a storm was bad news to Stig. Oh, dear, he said. I was so sure it was going to be fine, I didn't bring a cover for the cart, and our week's food will be ruined. Oh, whatever are we going to do? He ruffled up his hair. Maybe if we leave right away we'll get home in time. Gaffer shook his head. Sorry to dash your hopes, but I said to myself first thing, I said, The sky's a full sky, but it don't fool me. Could hardly get out of bed with my knees. And that always tells me the weather's going bad. Gom watched Stig's face getting sadder and sadder. As if his father hadn't been treated badly enough that day already. First that butcher, Bok, trying to cheat him out of his fair due. Then Horvin, looking like the dutiful son when he'd really been after Gom. Then Dismas Skeller, scrounging Stig's hard-earned money from him by telling false tales, helped by these sponging old gaffers too. And now this miser Gudgeon was upsetting him with claptrap about the weather. He jumped to his feet. Your knees told you false, he cried. There'll be no rain today, nor tomorrow, nor for another week or more, just as my father said. He knows more about weather than any of you ever will. Gaffer's knuckles tightened on his walking stick, and for a moment he looked set to use it. Oh, well, I repeat, master know-it-all, that you'll not get home without a dousing. I'll lay a week's bread and ale on it. For emphasis, Gudgeon looked around at his cronies, his mouth working, his head going slowly up and down on his scrawny neck like a turtle's. Done, Gom cried so triumphant over certain victory that his anger evaporated instantly. That'll save us a deal of money, won't it, father? You are including the cheese, too. Why, the impudent puppy, Gaffer shouted, half rising on his bench. He fell back, coughing, and picked up his empty beer mug, affected to drink from it, then tipped it up, looking pointedly at Stig. Stig opened his mouth. Why? He's going to offer to buy him another, Gom thought in a panic. I'll tell you how I know, Gom said quickly. Oh, you will, will you? What do you know of rain? I know, Gom said, that winds being yonder, he pointed up over the mountain peak, to visit his sister Zephyr. It's so warm there, he told me, and so dry, that he's always in good spirits for a week or more after coming home. You'll see. Gaffer looked around. You hear that? The lad's gone quite dotty at last. Comes of running wild up there instead of living down here like other folk. No offence, Meister Stig, but it's not good for him. Stig stood up miserably. Gom, we ought to be... Gom also stood, beside his father. Wrong again, Meister Gudgeon. And as for your knees... He broke off in surprise. His head was beginning to buzz again, and for the second time in two days, he stood there, watching bright pictures pass across his inner vision, a smile spreading over his face. When they were gone, he paused for a moment, clinging to Stig's arm until the dizziness passed. 
Then, opening his eyes again, he fixed them intently on the old man's face. He ails all right for you, but not the stuff you take when you go to bed. That's what makes your knees bad, not rain. So saying, Gom bent down, picked up his jacket full of trophies, and dumped them into the cart among the meat bones, the dripping, the sausages, the bartered honey cakes, the cheese, the potatoes, and young green beans. Here, here, you young rascal, Gudgeon called after him. Not so fast. What do you mean, the stuff I take when I go to bed? Speak plain. I mean the plum brandy gaffer. At least, that's what the pictures say on the label. There's a bunch of plums, and the sign that means brand Plums? Plum brandy? Gaffer raised his stick and waved it about. Get that lad out of here before my hand forgets itself and takes to his backside. Plum brandy indeed. Why, everyone here knows what I thinks of folks who drink that sort of stuff. But I saw you drink it, as plain as I see you now. Saw me? The old man turned on Stig. You mean to say that you let that boy out in the middle of the night to come snooping down here, peering? He stopped, but too late. Much to Gom's delight. Why, the old hypocrite had quite given himself away. No, gaffer, Gom tapped his skull. I saw you in here, just now when I closed my eyes. You had a blue nightcap on, and a red and yellow nightgown with a green flowered patch on the elbow. Get him away! Get him away! Gaffer hopped up and down, brandishing his stick. That's not only brash and unmannered, but a liar, too. Hey, come, Gaffer, Stig said soberly. My son is a good boy. He took Gom's arm and drew him toward the cart. Come on, lad, it's time we went home. But Gom was not yet done. Fair was fair, and Gaffer owed Stig. Does the bet stand, then? Gom called to the old man. Gaffer looked around at his cronies, then back to Gom. Gom only just managed not to smile. Gaffer was trapped, and they both knew it. Course it does. And right sorry you'll be afore you've taken many steps. Mark my words. Gom let his father lead him then, stopping by the trough for old Leadbelly. He began to whistle softly, thinking of how that old miser was going to have to shout them lunch for seven straight town days on end and that was for the rest of the summer and all the way through into the fall. Leadbelly rode Gom's shoulder until they were well clear of the town. As they went along, the old tree frog told Gom of how, two nights before, he'd followed a huge swarm of midges down the mountain into the town, of how he'd eaten so many he'd fallen asleep under a water butt, of how the next morning he'd woken up trapped inside Horvin's jar. I should have had more sense. I see that now, he croaked. Tadpoles and tiddlers, you'd have thought that at my age I'd learned not to follow my nose like a young green thing without taking my wits along. Gom nodded, remembering uncomfortably his own adventures of the day before. However, the frog went on, I've certainly learned my lesson this time. Never again will I leave the creek. Unless it's with you, of course, he added. 
twice you saved my life today. I thank you most heartily. And until our next meeting, goodbye. So saying, he sprang down from Gom's shoulder to take his own route back up the mountain, eager and hungry to refill his empty belly on the way. Stig and Gom tramped on up the steep trail. But they hadn't gone far when it dawned on Gom that Stig was unusually quiet. In vain, Gom waited for Stig to strike up a song. At last, he was forced to ask, Why aren't we singing this evening, Father? As you always say, the way seems so much easier with a tune or two to help us along. Stig stopped the cart. Since you ask me, son, I'll tell you. I have one or two things to say to you. And I don't rightly know how. Well, said Gom, how about the beginning? That's always a good place to start. Easier said than done, Stig replied, ruffling up his hair. Look, Gaffer called you a liar. And while I said him nay, while I'll uphold your word against another's any day, I can't help but wonder. You said you saw him in his nightgown drinking plum brandy. But if you didn't go down into town to spy through folks' windows, how did you know about the brandy and what he was wearing when he went to bed? Was that all? Gom felt relieved. That's easy to answer, he said. He tapped his forehead. I saw him in here when I closed my eyes, just as I said. Stig stared at him, shaking his head and looking strangely disturbed. You don't believe me, father? I do. I do. And I'll tell you what I've never told no man. That's what your mother, the wife, used to do. There shook the wits out of me she did at times. And here you are, your mother's true son. Has it happened before? Gom nodded, feeling gratified. Oh, yes. He almost told his father then about his dream of the day before, when he'd found the gold under the mountain wall. But on second thoughts he decided not. So he said instead, Remember last month when you couldn't find any decent oil wood and I said, Let's try down by the dip, and we found those four old trees just lying there? Well, I saw them, just as clearly as I saw Gaffer Gudgeon just now in his nightcap. It doesn't happen very often, and really when I want it to, but happen it does. Stig regarded him in wonder. Why didn't you tell me about it? Gom looked surprised. I never thought. I mean, why should I? I didn't know it was so out of the way. Just as it had never occurred to him until lately, until the town's children began to mock him for it, that talking to Leadbelly and Snake and Cessary and Wind were anything out of the way either. Your mother's true son. Absently his hands sought the rune. And as Gom stood there on the track, looking up into his father's simple face, he became acutely aware of how different he himself was from other folk, and it made him feel peculiar, a little excited, a little frightened, and not a little superior to the townsfolk down below. Even a little, right then, to Stig. 
but there was Stig, still looking down on him, solemnly, still with something left unspoken. There is more, father? Oh, I don't know, my lad. Stig reached out and ruffled up Gom's hair. It's just that I'm a mite anxious over your tongue. Brash, Gaffer called you, as well as a liar. And while I know what a good boy you are at heart, and honest and willing to help anyone, yet it seems to me that you do strike folk that way. Son, quick and clever is your mind, and marvellous strange. And for that, I'm right proud of you. But too quick and too clever it is at times, and lacking in proper thought for others. They say pride goes before a fall, and I'm not minded to see you suffer one. Take today. You were rude to the butcher for a start. He cheats you, father, and steals from you. I can't stand to see it. Stig nodded. Yes, well. But time and again I've told you that I don't mind. Then you were a mite hasty and loud with the royal purveyor, an important man the queen says we must respect. Why did you have to brag about the gold? Gom hung his head. From pride and an itch to score over Gudgeon and Skeller didn't sound too impressive. He looked up again. Skeller's a fraud and a cheat. I bet he's never seen any queen. He says all those things only to make folk buy his wares. Don't trust him, father. He's an evil man. You know who he reminds me of? Bobcat on the prowl. Be glad we've seen the back of him. And as Gom said that, he was doubly glad, remembering the look in Skeller's eyes on seeing the gold flake flashing in the light of the sun, remembering the look the purveyor had given him in the rear courtyard, and the words he hissed in his ear. Speak one word about our little chat, and you're dead meat. Remember that. How lucky that the gold wasn't so valuable as he'd thought. And Skeller must have spoken truly there, for hadn't the man suddenly lost all interest in them? even in Stig's free ale? Oh, what a relief it was to be on his way out of it all. No more having to watch out for Stig being cheated. No more threats from angry grown-ups like Bark and Gaffer Gudgeon. No more feuding with Horvin, or mockery from the rest of the children, or feeling the outcast. And right now he was especially glad to have left Skella behind. He thought gratefully of Cessary, of Wind, of Leadbelly, a blue jay, even sour old hoot owl. Up here he was welcome, and at home. Up here he was on familiar territory that held no bad surprises, and safe among friends. Perhaps, yes, and perhaps that Skella wasn't so right about the gold after all. Perhaps tomorrow Gom would go to harvest more of it, and see if Pinkle couldn't make his father a pair of earrings like Skella's, nay, better. He realized that his father was still waiting, expecting some kind of answer to his words. I'm that sorry, father, he said, if I've caused you trouble. For your sake, from now on, I'll try extra hard to mind my manners and curb my tongue. Now may we have a song. Stig picked up the shafts with a relieved smile. Aye, lad, we'll have a new one today. About a young apprentice called Lollybob whose prideful tongue so ran away with him that the people chased him clear out of town until he'd mended his ways. It'll have lots of verses, 
enough to take us all the way home. You can join in the chorus each time it comes, beginning, Oh, woe is me, for I am run out of town. There was a lad by name of Lollipop, a fine upstanding lad was he, who went to town to find himself a job, apprenticeship to candle-makers three. Now Gomstig said, listen to the chorus and sing it with me after the next verse. It goes, Oh, woe is me, for I am run out of town, run out of town, run out of town. Oh, woe is me, for I am run out of town, for letting my tongue run free. Gom listened, then waited while his father sang the second verse. He kissed his mother and he walked away. Farewell, my lovely son, she sighed. Remember this and that and every day to keep a bridle on your foolish pride. Now you, Gom, Stig prompted him. Tis time for the chorus again. Oh, woe is me, Gom chanted happily above Stig's rich brown voice, once and twice and the rest of the way home. And as he fell asleep that night, for all the good the words had done him, he was still humming the tune. Thank you.